Welcome to Sermons from Bailey Road. You are about to hear a sermon given at Bailey Road Baptist Church. Bailey Road is a small Bible-believing church located in North Jackson, Ohio, and is pastored by Pastor Aaron Smith. We are dedicated to serving the Lord through our people and through our teaching. We hope you are enlightened by today's message, and again, welcome to Bailey Road Baptist Church. Revelation is, is uh, it means disclosure. It means manifestation. One definition says to take off the cover. And it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. One Christian wrote a book called The Unveiling. The Unveiling of Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. We see things in the book of Revelation that we don't, some things we see in there that we, we don't see anywhere else in the Bible. It's an interesting book. It's a uh, fulfilling book. In fact, this book has special promises attached to it. Special promises. Let's look at chapter 1. And let's read verses 1 through 3 to begin. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Zero in on verse 3 here. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. There's a similar promise in the last chapter of the book. It's similar. Blessed. Special blessings attached. You know, people often think of the book of Revelation as just a, a lot of prophecy. Yes, it is prophecy. There's prophecy throughout the Bible. This is a panoramic view of prophecy in the last book. You see prophecy in the in the Hebrew scriptures, in the Old Testament, you see uh, glimpses of uh, the future and the end times. You get, uh, uh, especially as we come, you know, as you consider the book of Isaiah, you think of the book of Psalms. There's prophecy in nearly every book of the Bible. You see prophecy uh, in the Olivet Discourse where Jesus spoke of the end times and the things that were going to occur. When his disciples asked him that question, he said, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that you be not troubled, all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet, kingdom shall rise against kingdom, nation against nation, there'll be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in, in diverse places. We see the parallel passage in Mark, in Luke, we see prophecy in Acts and in Romans, and in the prison epistles, in the pastoral epistles, you see prophecy. But it all comes together in the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation cannot be properly interpreted without taking the other books into account, but especially the book of Daniel. Amen? Especially the book of Daniel. As... Uh, it's a, a, actually, they call him a minor prophet, but he's a major prophet, probably because it's only 12 chapters. 
But the book of Revelation, special blessings and, and plenty of instruction on how to live, on how to be in a proper relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The word repentance is mentioned seven times in this book. Repent. And in each instance, it's, it's in the address to the seven churches in chapter 2 and 3. Meant for Christians. And the bulk of the book is judgment. It's judgment against people who refuse to repent as unbelievers. Having a changed mind about who they are in the light of the the grandeur and the glory of the Creator God. Coming to Him in humility and repentance through the only way that He has established, Jesus Christ, His Son. Many unique things about this book. Do you know the word throne and thrones? We find 32 times in the book of Revelation. We see God on His throne. We see the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, on the throne. The word seven is mentioned 31 times. Angels are mentioned 75 times. As angels are an integral part of the end times. And what God's going to do in the world. Satan. There's, a, there's plenty to read about in Revelation on Satan. On our infernal enemy. We see him very alive and active in the book of Revelation. But we also see, which is really good news, we see his eternal demise. We see him put away forever. There are many connectors, as I mentioned earlier, many connectors with the book of Revelation throughout the Bible. Many tributaries flowing in and flowing out. But our focus today, I want us to look and consider the Lamb of God. There is an emphasis in the book of Revelation on Jesus in his office as the Lamb of God. There are many wonderful names describing Jesus throughout the scripture. But the one that is the most glorious to me and meaningful and consequential is where he's referred to as the Lamb of God. He's referred to, like I said, 27 times in this book as the Lamb. Turn to chapter 5 if you would, please. We see the introduction in, in, in chapter 1. The address to the seven churches is in chapter 2 and chapter 3. And in chapter 4 and chapter 5, this is leading up to the tribulation period. That period of time uh, that was first prophesied in the book of Daniel, it's a seven-year period of time when the tribulation is going to come upon the earth. And it be, we see in chapter 4 and chapter 5, after the address to the seven churches, we see a heavenly scene. We see God on the throne. 
and we see what's referred to as four beasts, but they're actually living creatures. And we see 24 elders. And we see worship. And in chapter 5, uh, we're introduced to a book in verse 1. I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book? And to loose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to look, to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept, this is John speaking, and I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. So we see Jesus here. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the root of David. And he identifies himself again in the last chapter of the book as the root of David. But here he's the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he's also called the lamb. And he's the central figure here in this heavenly scene. And we're introduced in, in verse 8 when it says, He came and took the book, in verse 7, out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne, the lamb. And when he had taken the book, and the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred tongue and people and nation. This is the Lamb of God. You remember in the book of, in the book of John, in uh, I believe it's chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. We see him here in the last book of the Bible, in a great and an overwhelming emphasis on, on him as the Lamb in heaven. And all that he's going to do leading up to eternity. And what he's going to continue to do in eternal heaven. Not only before eternal heaven, you have the millennial kingdom. In eternal heaven, he's mentioned there as well. But here it says, a lamb as it had been slain. The death of Jesus Christ. The death of the lamb of God. The sacrificial lamb that took away the sins of the world. Chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, kindreds, people, and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. 
cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and, to, and unto the Lamb. We see Jesus Christ. One thing we see about Him in the book of Revelation, we see it throughout the Bible, is His equality with God. His place in the Godhead, His deity, His divinity. We see that. We see equality. We see in the book of Revelation, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus identified Himself in the first chapter. He said, I am the first and the last. I am Alpha and Omega. Right? I am He that liveth and was dead and am alive forevermore and hold the keys to death and hell. Chapter 1. The Lamb that was pierced. It says in chapter 1, and you can look this up in verse 7, that uh, He cometh with clouds. And every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. There's reminders throughout this book that he was pierced, that he was crucified, that he died. But one thing about the book of Revelation, you never see Jesus more alive than you do in the book of Revelation. Yes, you do in, in, the, in the, the third day when he rose from the dead, but in the book of Revelation, you see that he's alive forevermore. And that he, you also see him coming back, the second coming of Christ. He cometh with clouds. And in chapter 19, he comes with the saints. And he comes with all of the angels. But chapter 7, verse 9, they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. Hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. There's a lot of soteriology, a lot of theology in that verse. It says he was killed, he was slain. He redeemed us to God. By what? By His blood. Chapter 1, verse 5, it talks about the blood. He washed us from our sins, it says, in His own blood. It was the blood of the Lamb. It was the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 11, I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and such are as, as are in the sea, and all that are in them, Heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Eternal praise, glory, and hallelujahs in heaven. In heaven above, unto the Lamb of God, for who He is and that which He accomplished. The Lamb's work, then, what He did before and in the future, 
is the most incomparable and consequential work in all of human existence. Especially when we consider the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The most consequential sequence of events in all of human history. When God the Son, the eternal Son of God, came down from heaven, lived the perfect life on earth, blessed and approved by the Father, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, kept God's law perfectly, and went to the cross and died the sins of the world were placed upon him. And he paid the, the price. The sin debt of the world was placed upon him. My God the Father willingly went to the cross for you and for me. And here we see the praise being offered up to him in eternity. Angels praise him. The four and twenty elders are praising Him. The living creatures are praising Him. And the ranks of the redeemed we see in heaven are praising Him forever and ever and ever. Are we excited about what Jesus did for us? What He continues to do for us? And what He's going to do for us in eternity? Do we offer Him praise that is commensurate with His who He is and what He did? Do we glorify Him in our lives? There's a whole lot. That's the next, actually the next point is worship. Revelation chapter 12. Brother Jim in here? There he is. I told you we were going to Revelation 12 in the message. Revelation 12. Verse 7, there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. Here's Satan. Satan's referred to as the dragon here. And the dragon fought and his angels, the devil has angels. And pre, notice, and pre, prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ, Christ the anointed one of God. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God, Day and night. Look at verse 11. And they overcame him. What's it say? By the blood of the Lamb. That's how we overcome our enemies. Is the blood of the Lamb. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. It's his finished work on Calvary. And it's discovering who we are in Jesus Christ. And the power that we have. And we have great power in Him. 
We have power in prayer to bring down strongholds. We have discernment in Him to recognize and distinguish between good and evil. And to overcome the accuser, our accuser. He's called the accuser of the brethren here. It's through Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection. And that's one thing Satan does not want believers to understand is their place in Christ, who they are, and what they possess in Him. They overcame Him, verse 11 again, by the blood of the Lamb. And what? And by the word of their testimony. The word of their testimony. They love not their lives unto the death. You see that? The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And it continues to cleanse the believer. I pray to God, cleanse them with thy blood and wash them with thy word. He washes us with the word of God and he cleanses us with the blood. We confess our sins and we're right with Him. And we're on the cutting edge with God. We can go boldly to the throne of grace, it says, to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's all because of the Lamb that was slain, Jesus Christ. It's all because of Him. Are you walking with Him today? You go boldly to the throne of grace with faith that your prayers are heard. You wait upon the Lord. There's a great emphasis upon waiting upon Him as well. Revelation 13, verse 8. Chapter 13 is a great chapter about a a great deal of coverage on the Antichrist. He's referred to here as the beast. We're introduced to the false prophet as well. And we see the dragon in chapter 13. So you have Satan, the beast, and the false prophet. Satan's unholy trinity. And that beast is going to be revealed on planet earth one day. He will be revealed. And the whole earth, it says here, is going to worship him. But in chapter 13, verse 8, it says that. All that dwell upon the earth, you see that, shall worship him. Whose names are not written in the book of the Lamb. The book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The believers in the tribulation period, they won't worship him. Oh no, they won't. And there's going to come a time when the Jews in the tribulation period were going to flee from him. They're going to... They're going to flee. Chapter 12, God's going to providentially protect them. But the victory here is in the Lamb of God and being sealed by Him and having your name written in the book of life. In chapter 14, verse 4, it says, These are they which follow the Lamb. These are the 144,000. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They're so in love with the Lamb of God, they follow Him wherever He goes. Whithersoever He goeth, 
These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. Again, Jesus said in chapter 1, I am he that, that liveth and was dead. The resurrected Christ. Let's just look at that. Chapter 1. It's real easy when you stay in the same book. Here, it's, it's, it's easier. I usually jump all over. But in chapter 1, verse 18, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. He has the keys. The prince of life has the keys of hell and death. He is your key to forgiveness of sin and eternal life. He's also the door. He's the entranceway. A lot of metaphors used throughout the Bible to describe Jesus Christ and what he offers. His comprehensive package of blessings that were secured and procured for you and for me because he loves us so much. Now unto him that loved us, look at verse 5. Now unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins with his own blood. Is that what it says? He loved us. The last part of verse 5. Look at verse 6. He made us kings and priests unto God and His Father. Kings and priests to reign on the earth with Him in the millennial kingdom. Great blessings. Do you believe that? Do you believe that by faith? How's your faith this morning? Do you believe the Word of God? Is that, is that belief and is that faith uh, revealed in your life, in your lifestyle? in your daily activities, with your calendar and your checkbook? Is it confirmed by those things? This book of Revelation, I mean, Jesus is all over this book. Apostle John had great privilege to write about Jesus in the way that he did. When you consider the book of John, the Gospel of John, and when you consider 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then you look at the book of Revelation, he had this great revelation from Jesus Christ and this visitation by Jesus and his angel. When he was on the Isle of Patmos, he was banished there for his testimony of Jesus Christ, for his life in serving Jesus, and that he wouldn't be quiet. He's on this, 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 this island, this rocky island in the Aegean Sea, and he's given this great revelation for us to, to uh, bask in the glory of, to enjoy and to assimilate into our lives and the blessings that are attached to it. He's called, some call him John the Revelator or the postman from Patmos. <laughs> he wrote this in a book. He had these grand and these glorious visions of Jesus Christ. Grand and glorious. And the whole tribulation period is laid out in this book. It's laid out. We're not spending so much time on that this morning. But Jesus Christ was the only one worthy, we read that earlier, to open the book and to loose the seals of this scroll. And this scroll 
Many refer to it as the title deed to the earth. He's reclaiming the earth from the usurpers, from Satan and his followers. He's taken the earth back. And he's the only one worthy. The only man that is worthy as the God-man. As God came down in human flesh and, and took on humanity without sin. And he's in heaven now. He is going to unloose the seals of that book, of that scroll. And it contains all of the events of the tribulation period. Ushering in, ultimately, everlasting righteousness. Amen? Check out verse... Chapter 14, please. Verse 6. I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. Anyone that's saved, anyone that's in heaven, anyone that is saved, anyone that is in heaven, is saved by one gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the everlasting gospel. Based, based on his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Someone that has received him by faith, believing the gospel. Believing that he died for them. That he was buried and he rose on the third day. Putting faith and trust in Jesus Christ that he accomplished something for you that you could not in a million lifetimes, a billion lifetimes accomplish for yourself. No amount of righteousness that can be worked up on this earth would ever atone for one's sin. Jesus Christ is the Savior. There's so much worship in this book. You could call the book of Revelation a worship manual. There's so much worship here. Look at chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 8. You know, it's, it, these are heavenly scenes. And the, they're angels, like I said, angels and, and elders and creatures that God created and redeemed people offering up praise in heaven. Offering up praise to God and Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord. To receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. But in chapter 5, verses 8, verse 8, when he had taken the book, four beasts and four and twenty elders, look at, fell down. They fell down before the Lamb. They prostrated themselves. They fell down. 
having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors which are the prayers of the saints. They sang a new song. You're worthy to take the book. And they mentioned, I know we read this, but we're emphasizing worship this time. Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred tongue and people and nation. In verse 11, there were many angels around about the throne, beasts, elders, number of them, an innumerable amount of people and creatures around the throne of God, praising Him. How is our praise for Jesus today? How is our praise on a daily basis? How is our praise throughout the course of a week or a month or last year? Is our praise commensurate with God's work and His person and what He did for us and what He continues to do, what He's going to do? I mean, it says in Romans, we're more than conquerors through Him that loved us. It says in, in uh, I believe it's the Corinthians, that, that he, we always triumph in Jesus Christ. There's triumph always. It says that he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Do you know him as your Savior? Chapter 7, verse 9. After this I beheld in lo a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, kindreds, people, and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and they crowd with a lot, cried with a loud voice. And you see the worship that's there. And it just continues, and it goes on and on and on. Heaven is a place of absolute purity. There's no sin there. Purity and praise in perpetuity. That just means forever and ever and ever and ever. If you don't really enjoy praising God right now, you really wouldn't enjoy heaven. If you don't really enjoy a holy lifestyle right now, a pure life, walking pure and holy before men and before God, you really would not. Heaven isn't for you. Christians enjoy purity. They enjoy praising God. It's natural for a, a Christian to do that. When we try to go the other way, it's unnatural for us. We've been given, we're partakers of the divine nature, believers are. We're different. I mean, something radical happened to us when we got saved. It was not just radical. It was revolutionary. You ever see what he did with the, what Jesus did with that demon-possessed man of the Gatherings? They couldn't hold him with chains. He was cutting and tearing himself. He was living in the cemetery. And Jesus came and he cast the demons out of the man. And the man was found sitting and clothed and in his right mind. That's what Jesus could do for these people that are walking our streets today. 
And many of them, I believe, are demon-possessed. Jesus is the answer for them. Not a reformation program. Not a 12-step program. But we're, we're talking regeneration here. Radical. Revolutionary. It's a revolution within that we can't work up. We can't go to a class and obtain it or assimilate it. It comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes through the gospel. It comes through Jesus Christ. Everything is through Jesus. And we worship him because of that. I know what he did for me. He calmed the raging storm in my life. It was a raging storm. Out on a raging sea of sin. And he calmed it. He reached out his hand one day. He said, peace be still. And he calmed it. And I am the benefactor of his mercy and his grace. Jesus Christ, the one who calms the storms, the physical storms and the spiritual storms within. Somebody in here probably has a spiritual storm going on in their life. And I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus Christ is the answer for your life. And he's the only one that can fix it. There's no one else. This book of Revelation portrays Jesus as the only answer. And he's on the throne. And you know there's a In the address to the seven churches, actually I'm preaching a message next month at another church. And I'm working on another message in Revelation on the seven churches. But he told the last church, he said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear the, my voice and open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. Jesus knocks. He convicts us through the Holy Spirit. He tries to get our attention. Oftentimes we turn him away. I hope today won't be that day that you turn him away. And we, uh, much of the world has a great misconception about Jesus Christ and who he is. And what he does. You know, there's, a, there's, a, there's another Jesus out there. Did you know that? And, and, and there's another spirit. And there's another gospel. And many people in this world, and there are many people in this world, but, you know, there's like 7 billion of us. But a, a good number of the people in this world, they, they believe in a false Jesus. They have a false gospel. And there's another spirit. It's the spirit of the devil. It's the spirit of Antichrist. It's demonic delusion that deceives people. And the things that they're deceived with seem very real to them. But the Jesus of the Bible, he's the Jesus that we serve. He's the one that's found in Genesis as the seed of the woman. Amen? He's the one that's found in, in uh, Exodus 
as the great I am. Oh, yes, he's the great I am. You can confirm that as we compare Scripture with Scripture. Go to the book of John, chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, right? In Leviticus, he's our blood atonement, see? In Numbers, he's the star of Jacob. In Deuteronomy, he's the prophet that's going to come. In Joshua, he's the captain of the Lord's hosts. And we skip around, but we'll go to the book of Psalms. He's called the Son. It says there, kiss the Son in chapter 2. In Ecclesiastes, he's referred to as higher than the highest. Okay. In Job, Job said, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. So in Job, he's the Redeemer, the one that's going to stand in the latter day upon the earth. In Isaiah, he's the suffering servant. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting Father. He's the Prince of Peace that's going to usher in a kingdom. Okay? In Daniel, he's the Most High God. And on and on it goes. He's all through the Bible, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, search the Scriptures. In them you think you have eternal life. They are they which testify of me. But one thing that's not greatly understood about Jesus is that he's the executor of wrath in the last days. Turn to chapter 6, if you would. Chapter 6 of Revelation is when the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ, unlooses the seals from the book. And each seal is an execution of a judgment. And we see the seal judgments. There are seal judgments, trumpet judgments, and vile judgments, or you could call them bowl judgments. And there's three woes that are executed upon this earth. This earth is going to be judged in a very harsh manner. In the seven-year tribulation period, the second half being way worse than the first. But let me tell you something, the first is pretty rough. You do not want to be here when this occurs. You want to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ today. So you can escape the wrath to come. Jesus promised the church that they are not appointed unto wrath. Look at verse six, chapter 6, verse 1. And I saw when the Lamb, this is Jesus Christ, opened one of the seals. You see that? He opened one of the seals. And if you look at verse 2, you see the white horse. You ever hear of the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Well, here they are. We believe the first one is the Antichrist. Comes on the scene. The second seal, it says there was another horse in verse 4 that was red. So there's your white horse, red horse. Power was given on him to take peace from the earth. They should kill one another. It was given to him a great sword. The third seal, verse 5, is a black horse, and we see famine. Verse 
the fourth seal. Look at verse 8. You see the pale horse. Death and hell. Not the paradise they're looking for today. Not the utopia that they think that they're going to usher in. It's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. This is written, and this is going to happen. It's written in the Word of God. Things are going to occur. Things are going to occur. The fifth seal, you see the altar in verse 9. He opened the fifth seal. I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the Word of God. The sixth seal, look at verse 12. We're in chapter 6. Great earthquake. The sun become black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. The stars fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs. Verse 14, the heaven departed as a scroll. Look at verse 15. The kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. And what did they say? And said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne. And from what? The wrath of the Lamb. The mild and the meek Lord Jesus that came to the earth and rode into Jerusalem on the donkey and subjected himself to the torture of men and the placing of the sin dead of the world from the Father. Crucified, crown of thorns, nails and spikes. Beaten, buffeted and bruised for us. Offering salvation to the whole world with wide open arms. For an extended period of time. Men, women, boys and girls. He says, come to me. I'll give you rest. I'll give you refuge. My blood will cover your sins and you can enter my presence. You can enter my Father's presence because of my atoning work. I'll become your advocate, your intercessor, and your mediator. I will plea on your behalf forever. I will give you victory and power and eternal life. Come to me. The invitation is extended. So many people rejected him. So many. Millions and millions. Oh, there's millions that have received him, though. We sing that in the hymn. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. There's room at the cross for you. Tomorrow might be too late. I talked to a man the other day walking out of Walmart. It said airborne on the back of his hat. And I asked, he was an old man. I said, so you were in the airborne? He said, yeah. He started talking about the friends that he knew were in the Battle of the Bulge and different. He's talking about all these paratroopers. I can't remember exactly where this friend of his was one of the paratroopers jumping and 
and uh, there were thousands of them. And he said, like, the majority of them got shot out of the sky. But his friend survived. And it wasn't long after. I don't know how long it was. But he said he survived the war. And one day he just stepped off of a curb. He tripped off of a curb and fell down and died. And, you know, you just never know when your time may come. Could be in your sleep tonight. It could be this afternoon. It could be in the morning. And it'll be too late if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. It'll be eternally too late. You can't repent too soon because you don't know how soon it's going to be too late. Today's the day of salvation. Today, is the day of repentance. So they're crying for the mountains and the rocks to fall on them, to hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. Jesus is executing judgment on the earth for sinful kingdoms and sinful men, judgment on the nations and judgment on individuals. Look at verse 17. For the great day of His wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? Who shall be able to stand on the great day of His wrath? He's the one that executes these seals. This is just a seal judgment. This is a sixth seal. The seventh seal isn't until chapter 8. This is chapter 6. You see six seals, and then you see the seventh seal in chapter 8, and then you see the trumpet judgments. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And then you see the vile judgments executed in chapter 15 and chapter 16. And this is the Lord Jesus sending these judgments. Chapter 14. Verse 9. The third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in, the fore in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels. And what's it say next? And in the presence of the Lamb. Jesus Christ. The smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. Chapter 17, verse 12. The ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. Look at verse 14. These shall make war with the Lamb and the Lamb shall overcome them. Making war, human beings making war 
with Jesus Christ. Trying to make war with Jesus Christ. And the Lamb shall overcome them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with Him are called chosen and faithful. Chapter 9. Oh, men and women today have hard hearts. I mean hard, dark, blackened hearts. It's no wonder that Ephesians says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're dead. We're dead people. And all our righteousnesses, anything that we can do that is good, avails to nothing with God. There is filthy rags with God, Isaiah 64, 6. But men are cold and hard and proud today. And even in the tribulation period, they refuse to repent. They refuse. Chapter 9, verse 20. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues. And this is, the sixth trumpet is in verse 13. Look at that. The sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice. And there's these judgments being executed on the earth. But look at verse 20. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues. You would think maybe God got their attention. Yet, what's it say? Yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils, idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders nor of their sorceries. That word sorceries is the word pharmakia. Sound familiar? Nor of their fornication, nor of their theft. Sounds like today's society. They refuse to repent. Think about it. You see, they're engaged in rank idolatry. Flagrant, flagrantly violating God's law and shaking their fist in His face. Why would anyone do that? We move along here. Chapter 20. The Lamb of God... You see him very clearly in the book of Revelation. You see him in his atoning work. Amen? You see him. that he, It says, they shall look upon him whom they have pierced. The whole world's going to see him. Somehow when he comes back. And it says in chapter 19, he's coming back with the armies of heaven and with the saints on white horses. In Thessalonians, it, it, it says that he's coming back with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obeyed not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. But chapter 20, there's one thing that stands out in chapter 20. A number of things do, but verse 11. Who sits on the great white throne? 
If you look at Matthew 7, you have to come to the inescapable conclusion that it's Jesus Christ. I saw a great white throne. Now this is chron intensely chronological here from chapter 19 through the end of the book. You see the second coming of Christ in chapter 19. You see Satan bound in chapter 20. We also see the millennial kingdom, the thousand years mentioned. We see the end of the thousand years. And then we see the great white throne judgment after the millennial, millennial kingdom. If you are standing at this judgment, you're doomed. There's no hope for you. One preacher said, the only judgment that believers will ever know is the judgment that Jesus took for us on the cross. Amen? Oh, we, we, we go to a judge. It's called the Bema Seat Judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, where we're judged uh, for our works as a Christian and for our rewards. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians 5.10, and elsewhere. not for our salvation. And you know what? One day, the Bible says, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every tongue. Every rabid atheist that ever lived is going to confess one day. Jesus Christ is Lord. It's been said that some will confess to their condemnation. And we will confess it because of our salvation. Amen? Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the only one, it says in Timothy, that has immortality. Dwelling in the light which no man can approach on, to whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. And here he's sitting at the great white throne. In Matthew he says, many will say to me in that day. There's going to be people offering up excuses why they shouldn't be there. But here, verse 12, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. You know what? Billionaires and bag ladies will be standing there. The ground's going to be level at the great white throne. The poor, the rich, says the small and the great will be standing there. Princes, and kings, and queens, and princesses, and billionaires, and the affluent, and the not so affluent, the poor and the rich. Who won't be there? People 
that have received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Savior from wrath. Savior from what's going to occur at the end of this chapter. So the dead, small and great, stand before God. The books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. The sea gave up the dead which were in it. There's going to be a resurrection. And death and hell delivered up the dead. Which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. Look at verse 14. Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. You heard about the second death. You don't want to die the second. You want to be born again. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's been said, when you're born again, that's your second birth. Born twice, you die once. Born once, you die twice. The second death. The second death, Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. God is just. Every injustice that's ever been perpetrated on this earth will be corrected, will be dealt with in a perfect manner from a perfect, omniscient judge that never makes mistakes. I'm not one of those hell deniers. I believe the judgment is eternal because the Bible says it over and over and over and over and over again. That's why Jesus came, so we can escape this. So human beings could escape it because of the love of God that surpasses knowledge He loves. Men spurn His love. They reject it. They put it off. They misinterpret it. There's people today, church down the road, says on the sign, open and affirming. It's a misinterpretation of God's love, meaning they accept the most grotesque of a sinner's lifestyle. God loves everyone. And He's provided a way to go to heaven. We're estranged from God the Father because of our sins. And the wages of sin is death. The second death the first and the second. But you know what? Jesus died in our stead. If we receive him, we escape the second death. We go to heaven. 
And you can know right now that you have eternal life, the Bible says. You can have confidence that you're saved, that you know you're saved. And you can live that way, and you can live a supernatural lifestyle. Oftentimes, men and women re refuse it because of pride. Or because of fear. Fear that they might have to confess Jesus and pay a price for it. Oh yeah, there's a price to pay. But it's not as great a price as the second death. There's nothing worse than that. That's the worst nightmare. Chapter 21, verse 27. There shall no, this is about heaven here. There shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's look at some of the great things that Jesus will do for us. Chapter 7, verse 17. And we're winding down here. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, shall lead them into living fountains of waters. You see that? God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Isn't that nice? Revelation 21, 23. The city... The city of God. Had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. What's it say next? And the Lamb is the light thereof. Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. Chapter 22, verse 1. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God, and of the Lamb. How many of you are looking forward to seeing Jesus one day, face to face? And it says we'll be like Him because we'll see Him as He is. And we get to spend eternity with Him. Chapter 22 of the last, or no, of, of uh, 21, 22. Yeah, 21, 22. I saw a new temple therein for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb or the temple of it. 21-27. Yeah, we read that. Let's look at chapter 22, verse 16. You know, uh, there are invitations to come to Jesus throughout the Bible. Throughout the whole Bible. There are invitations to come to the Lord, to come to God. Jesus said, come unto me. All. God said in the Old Testament, Look unto me, all you ends of the earth. I am God, and there is none else. Come to me. He wants people to come. Well, this is the last invitation in the Bible. Look at it. Verse 16 of the last chapter. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you 
these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride, meaning the church. The church is a bride. The church and the spirit are offering up an invitation to the lost. An invitation. We have authority to do that as believers. Come to Jesus. Come to Him. Come now. Don't put it off. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. Are you thirsty? For something that nothing in this world has been able to quench your thirst. It's, it, you got a big void inside. Jesus fills that void. Let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will means anyone. Let him take of the water of life freely. We sing the hymn, Just As I Am. Without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Lamb of God, I come. I met Jesus about 31 and a half years ago. And I've never regretted it once. My life was transformed. I started following him according to this book. If you don't know him, you can meet him today. You can know him as your Savior and your Lord. We're going to have a brief time of invitation. Jesus called on people to come to him publicly. You can do that. Many millions of people have done that over the last 2,000 years. I just happened to be one of the ones that was home alone when I met him. The Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father.